Hello and welcome to Employment Talk. We're here to discuss the HR issues affecting you and keep you up to date with the latest employment law matters. My name's Glenn Hayes and I'm Head of Employment at Irwin Mitchell. And I'm Joe Mosley and I'm a support lawyer here. Well, this week, Glenn, I thought we'd talk about redundancy. We're at the start of what the Bank of England has said is going to be an extremely long recession. And of course, we've got the double whammy of high inflation, increasing interest rates, and it's going to hit the UK economy really hard. And sadly, we are likely to see an increase in the number of redundancies. So I thought today it would be a good idea for us to discuss a new bill that's going through Parliament at the moment that will provide additional protection in a redundancy situation for new parents, so people returning from maternity, adoption and shared parental leave, and give additional protections for pregnant women. Sure, isn't this something that the government's been talking about for donkeys? I mean, is it actually going to happen this time? It was talked about during the Boris regime, wasn't it? before then actually it's been in the conservative manifesto for years i can't remember exactly when it started i think it was around 2015. theresa may when she was pm did introduce legislation but that she was ousted before it got through parliament and then johnson said he would reintroduce it Um, and you'll remember that he talked about an employment bill which never materialized so we've not seen anything really on that front for some for some time this bill actually started life as a private members bill and normally we don't spend time looking at these or talking about them because they don't become law but this time the government has said that it's backing it so it does look as if it's going to happen but before we go through what the bill will do i thought it'd be helpful glenn if you could explain how the law currently protects new mothers and parents on family related leave in a redundancy situation yeah, well, it's it's quite tricky, actually, and, and often misunderstood. And there is a distinction between those who are pregnant okay, and those who are on maternity leave, for example. So let me um, try and walk you through it. So in a redundancy situation, um, you have to include all the relevant people in a, in a pool selection. So if there's five people that are at risk of redundancy and you are reducing the numbers down to three, for example, you would have to include all five people within that pool, uh, including those who are on maternity leave, in order to decide the three. Now, Where there is a, a straightforward reduction in numbers like that and there is no alternative role, then it's literally the three best people for the job according to whatever selection criteria that you have. And the person on maternity leave or the pregnant individual gets no additional protection. Okay, where the law uh, uh, changes, however, and it's often felt to be a little bit unfair, uh, and I know uh, employers uh, gripe and groan about this, is that where there is an alternative vacancy available, so for example, let's assume that uh, in my uh, case, there's a numbers reduction from five to three, but there are uh, one alternative vacancy uh, elsewhere, then providing that is a suitable alternative vacancy, then the individual who is on maternity leave has first effectively dibs on that new alternative role over the other individual, even if they would have scored lower for that role than the other individual. Now, that is not the same for if an individual is pregnant, so they're not on actually, they haven't actually started the maternity leave yet. Okay, under those circumstances, you just choose whoever gets the highest uh, score for that new role. Um, But it's if they are on maternity leave and that maternity leave's actually commenced, then they get effectively first dibs, assuming it is a suitable alternative role. Yeah, great. Thank you. So before we look at those proposed changes, 
can you explain what a suitable alternative role is and how an employer decides that? Yes, yeah, so it's effectively an objective uh, exercise. So you look at the role, you look at all aspects of it, okay, including things like remuneration, uh, including things like uh, uh, skills required for the job. And if ultimately the individual is suitable for that on an objective basis, then they're entitled to effectively have first dibs, as I say. Now, the problem with this is that quite often the, the employer will say, well, actually, that role is not suitable for that individual because, for example, it's at a higher level or, you know, it's a slightly different skill set. Um, but it is an objective test that needs to be applied. Uh, and employers need to tread with caution. And I think that the difficulty that most employers grapple with, in my view, is that uh, in a redundancy situation, quite often the, the alternative role will need to be filled straight away. And of course, right. the individual might have just had their baby uh, and he's on maternity leave and might be for some time. So, for example, up to 12 months. And in those situations, bizarre as it sounds, then in theory, the, if that role is suitable, then the individual on maternity leave should be given the role, even though they can't actually physically do it at that time because they're on maternity leave. Perhaps you give it to the other person on a maternity leave basis for that, uh, for that time. And ultimately, when that individual then returns, they should be then slotted into the role with the other one uh, then uh, leaving that temporary maternity role. So mm -hmm. it's a thing that employers really struggle to get their heads around, uh, unfortunately. It does seem uh, a bit odd, but ultimately that's what the law uh, says, and it's designed to protect those people who are on mat leave. Yeah, of course. What about where the role pays less. In those circumstances, would it be a suitable alternative role or would employers just, for example, um, suggest it to a woman on maternity leave just well, to it, try to avoid any difficulties? Yeah, there's two things really. One is whether it's a suitable alternative role from a skills point of view. And mm. the second is where it comes into play with less money is um, whether or not, so they should really be suggesting it to that individual. But there's an issue about whether or not the individual forfeits a redundancy payment because there's two strands to that. One is whether the roles are suitable alternative or not. That's an objective exercise. And the second is to forfeit a redundancy payment. There needs to be a, an unreasonable refusal. And mm. that's a subjective. So looking at the eyes of the individual concerned. And if the, if the role is significantly less, then clearly you wouldn't forfeit your redundancy payment uh, in those circumstances because it wouldn't be an unreasonable refusal. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a complicated issue, isn't it? Oh, it's, yeah, it's really it's really tricky. So what's going to happen, Joe, with these, these proposed changes? Well, the right to be offered a suitable alternative role will apply to pregnant women before they start maternity leave and for six months afterwards and for other new parents when they come back to work too. So if we take a pregnant woman, for example, by the time she's found out she's pregnant, she may have around, I suppose, seven actual months protection before she starts maternity leave. And assuming she takes 12 months maternity or shared parental leave, she'll be protected for 18 months from the start of the mat leave. So the reality for many women is that they will have over two years protection. And for new parents, so for example, men that are taking shared parental leave, um, they will have 18 months protection. So it won't prevent pregnant women, for example, being made redundant? No, it won't. No. Um, and that's one of the criticisms of the bill. So pressure groups have said that the bill is actually inadequate and they already they already point to quite a lot of studies that say it's too easy to make new parents redundant anyway. They point to the costs of challenging 
redundancy in a tribunal and at a time when people often have their hands full so you know if you take the situation of somebody that's just had a baby if a redundancy situation arises within you know two or three weeks of that and they're going through the process are they really going to have the the time the energy and the resource to do anything about it and what these pressure groups are saying is that what we really need in this country is a is an absolute ban on making pregnant women or new parents redundant other than in very limited circumstances so such as you know the closure of a workplace for example i'm not sure and that it, really reflects the economic realities of the situation that we're in though does it no it may not um and we've already had two private members bills that have tried to bring through that sort of change um brought by the same mp in both 2019 and 2020 um but both failed because government failed to support them so it that that level of support doesn't look as if it's going to come into force anytime soon if at all so in terms of when this is going to come into force. Um, I think it's important to bear in mind that it's just a framework at the moment. So assuming this bill goes through all the parliamentary process and comes into law, it will just provide a framework. And what the government will then have to do is to introduce regulations which set out the detail. So, you know, hopefully at that stage, we'll find out at what point do pregnant women have protection? Are they protected as soon as they tell their employer that they're pregnant, which I assume will be the case, rather than having to actually submit a form? So we'll have to see about that. But my guess is that it'll be sometime next year unless the government has a real change of heart. To finish up, I want to ask about your experience of dealing with these types of cases. Um, in 2016 there was a landmark investigation conducted by the Equality and Human Rights Commission which looked into pregnancy and maternity discrimination at work and it found that 54,000 mothers a year face discrimination as a result of having taken maternity leave. I just wanted your views really on whether you think there is a parent penalty and do you deal with many of these sorts of claims? Is it still a live issue? Well, it's definitely a live issue. I mean, ironically, I'm just dealing with one at the minute um, insofar as uh, there's an individual being placed at risk of redundancy. Um, and then there's an argument about a suitable alternative role, which the employer says isn't suitable. My client says that uh, that it is. And, and obviously, there's that, that's what ultimately will determine whether or not the, she's successful in the employment tribunal or not if we get that far and there's no resolution. Mm. Um, so it's clearly a live issue and there's some well-publicised cases recently in relation to uh, maternity discrimination and well-publicised groups like Pregnant Then Screwed uh, trying to highlight the, the issues in that regard. Yeah. Uh, amongst other groups, of course. So, yes, it's a massive issue if the time limits are a big issue because um, new mothers want to concentrate on, on on looking after the child, which is perfectly understandable. Then clearly there could be some government legislation in that regard to relax the time limits in relation to those uh, matters. Yeah, the they've been talking about that for a while, haven't they, as well? Yeah, well, the, in discrimination complaints, the tribunal can extend time if it's just inequitable to do so. But you know, and, and it, it's not the absolute bar, like, for example, in unfair dismissal cases where the bar is much higher, so whether it's reasonably practicable to bring the claim in time. So there are some easy wins if the government wanted to go down that road. I think the big issue, I think, for employers really is 
trying to get their heads around this idea of having to give somebody a job on a temporary basis for the individual then to return back from maternity leave to then fill that job and having to then dismiss the other individual. So I think that is a very real issue, as is the the issue of, um, you know, not effectively having the best person for the job, mm. irrespective of whether that individual was on mat leave or not. So, you know, all things being equal, if the chosen person B rather than person A, then I think, you know, and pregnancy or maternity doesn't come into it at all, then I think that's a, a, a big grapple for employers to get their, get their heads around, really. And, and they're the sort of common mistakes that people make when they're making redundancies because they go through a selection exercise, Joe, quite frankly, and they say, well, hang on a second, I can't really give it to that person anyway. Or they say, yeah, but it's nonsense because that person is a better person for the job. Look at the you know, performance criteria. And, and so there's all kinds of issues surrounding that that I think causes problems, a real headache. And, and I'm not saying that you know people don't deserve an additional layer of protection because I think it's you know it's it's very tricky and your mind can be on different things. It's also a big issue as to whether or not, for example, somebody's performance has been affected pre-maternity leave. So, mm-hmm. take for example a, an expectant mother that's had a difficult pregnancy, and the the change happens now, for example where somebody needs to be be made redundant and you look at performance criteria and all things being equal, it, they may say, well, actually the, the, the person who's pregnant, their performance isn't as good as, as this person over here, but actually, you know, has that performance been affected by the fact that they're waking up in the morning feeling terrible? It, it is it is very difficult uh, uh, things that, that employers have to deal with, I think, in that regard. Mm. So they're sort of having to make adjustments effectively, yeah. aren't they, to yeah. you know, discount pregnancy related illnesses i guess those sorts yeah of things. I, I think i think discounting for for absences are a relatively straightforward one to do in my view and um, i think the the issue becomes is to what extent an individual's performance has been affected yeah. so if you're judging somebody on a criteria that says work performance ability and attitude for example which is a relatively common um performance criteria in a redundancy exercise you know to what extent do you believe that that individual's performance has been affected by uh, their pregnancy, and that, I think that's a, you know, a, a very subjective uh, thing. It's not always backed up by medical evidence or anything like that, and it's, you know, it's a it's a much more difficult thing to to get your head around. I think. Mm, interesting, isn't it? Mm. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today, Glenn. Yeah, great. Well, if you want to hear more about the latest employment law updates alongside our hopefully expert commentary, tune in a fortnight and thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks.